Right? So when you do notice it a lot in someone and it's annoying, then yeah, that they need to like, they need to correct it. See, I just said like again. <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> there you go. And welcome to the Stuff Up Podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. My name is Stephanie, and I am your host. And today I welcome publicist Tracy Lamore as we talk about authenticity. Tracy is a fellow Canadian, and I found out we actually live just two hours away from each other. So, <laughs> Tracy, when this is all over, you and I are going to go for lunch. Here's my discussion with Tracy. I'm here with Tracy Lamore who is an award-winning publicist, founder and managing director of Lamore Media, Inc. Thank you so much, Tracy, for coming on the Stuff Up podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and talking to another Canadian. Yay, Canada! (laughs) (laughs) I read an article where somebody was interviewing you and you were talking about being authentic. And I thought that was a perfect topic to do with you today because... You're just you. (laughs) I love that. I love how we don't have to pretend to be, oh, I'm going to have to do this or I'm going to have to act a certain way, you know, dye my hair a certain way, right? Exactly. We were talking about that in our little pre-call, right? Like you can actually be whoever you want to be and show your stuff. And yeah, exactly. And your hair is an amazing color. I think I had that hair color once, but it's a beautiful red. Right, red. That's my signature now. And I always say, this is what I'm 51 now. And I say, this is what happens when you don't let your child dye their hair the color they want in teenage years. Because the day <laughs> I turned 18, I was like, oh, there you go. Literally pretty much been the same for the, the last 32 years, except for a couple of brief times when I was doing some literally life and death advocacy work. And I was doing some television for that. I went and did my hair quick, you know, brown in the mid nineties, because you know, especially now it's a little more accepted, you know, and now I'm older and I have all this history behind me. But even now, if I was going to go on television, you know, talk about life and death stuff, like the death penalty work I was doing, I don't want this to distract, you know, in middle America, I don't want them to be too busy looking at my hair. They're not listening to the words I'm saying if I'm the only person speaking up for somebody, right? So. Right. Well, your favorite color is red, right? Yeah. Well, that's my signature now. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> knows me by that now, for sure. They got the, usually have the, I don't, I have COVID nails right now, but normally I have the red nails with the black tips and the red hair and the red and black outfit and the red shoes and the, you know, for some reason I walk, I'll be like, strangers always seeing lady in red to me. I'll put it that way. That's awesome. I was in Washington, D.C. on business in June. It was like some crazy convention was there. and They weren't even like our, like it was like a political convention. But even there, all of a sudden I walk through the hallway and like two young men start serenading me, lady in red. So, you see, you don't, you see me coming is what I'm saying. <laughs> awesome. You have quite an interesting story because you did not start out in your career as a publicist. I was actually just doing, it wasn't even a career really. We just telemarketing and sales and entry level office work jobs. It was more jobs than careers. So I was always working. I always had a full-time job and a part-time job and good work ethic. I was never trained to start a business and I, you know, I didn't even end, I ended up not going to school, though. I originally wanted to go to university and maybe wanted to be a journalist. So I kind of came out close. <laughs> you know, now I teach, I tell the media what the news is, so the media can tell people stuff. 
But yeah, my trajectory was strange. I referred to it a little bit talking about the death row work, but basically I learned about an innocent man on death row in 1998. My husband and I did. We were both just, you know, he was in a entry level sales and I was in telemarketing and that's what we did for money. But we had a radio show a couple of years before that. So we still sort of information gathering kind of mode. So we heard about this case of a man who was saying he was innocent on death row in Philadelphia. Here we are in Canada. He was in Pennsylvania. But something, I don't know what it was, but in our 20s, we felt called to write and see how innocent can this guy be. And for some reason, you know, he wrote us back 18 pages with all the case and legal documentation that was in his cell at the time. And that was enough to galvanize us. Oh, my God, somebody else who can do something about this has to read it. And some people have said, well, why did you end up starting what ended up being a 20-year campaign to help free him? We had no ability to do that. We weren't publicists. We weren't lawyers. But what happened is, you know, we had written that letter and asked that question. And then he spent all that time writing that us back. And what do you do, you know, when a desperate person, we reached out. What do we do now with this information? So we thought, well, maybe if we make a web page, was the early days of the internet, some in our naivety, we thought maybe somebody who can help, like a lawyer, will come and help, and that would be it. Because that doesn't happen. That's like a unicorn. But you know what? That happened. Two years in, we ended up learning how to write a press release. We made a bunch of noise. We made a, and ultimately a, a law firm out of Washington that was looking for a case of factual innocence. And like again, that doesn't happen. They were looking for a case of factual innocence to give pro bono work to, and because of the noise that we had made. People were all saying, check out Jimmy Dennis, check out Jimmy Dennis, check out. So they came on board and ultimately they did the legal and court work that freed him. So he was freed in 2017, innocent man. Now he's an R&B recording artist. That story is crazy and things are happening there because Hollywood's interested, obviously. It's like a not even, it doesn't even feel like a real, but that's what happened. But uh, and then how it affected my trajectory is it suddenly hit me one day and we started this when we were 28. And by the time we were 29, we were in literally all media around the world, Court TV, CNN, MSNBC, all this stuff, talking about the death penalty with no legal or media history. And it took another 10 or 12 years. Meanwhile, we still kept on doing our little sales jobs and whatever, while CBC is doing a documentary on our work. We're still going to our telemarketing job, you know. And it wasn't until I was 41, literally 10 years ago now, that it hit me. Wait a minute, the skills that I built up there I could monetize those. I think it's called a publicist. Huh. And so then I thought, well, geez, how can I do it? Really, PR is a five-year course in university now, a four or five-year course. Not sure what they teach you, but it's a... And the other trajectory to it, the other common trajectory, if not that, is being in media and then losing your job in media and deciding to go into PR and then going back and forth. So those are the two common ways. Most people don't have a weird story like me. But it suddenly hit me that day that I had those skills because I've been writing press releases for years. I've been dealing with media. I've been... And so because we had the power of the internet again in front of us, I was able to figure out how would I suddenly pivot to doing that? And then I found some freelance sites in those days. There was like Elance, I think it's called Upwork now. I, I used that. That's literally how I got my first client to PR. One of them being Angela Sadler Williamson, who was Rosa Parks' cousin. And she had a film and a movie and later a book called My Life with Rosie about Rosa Parks' next 30 years of activism after Alabama in the bus boycott. So now that's my client. She's thanking me in the movie. I'm doing good work. I'm getting her in media. So now I'm like, I guess I'm in the game. I'm, I guess this is, a, I'm an actual publicist. And so then with that confidence, a couple of years into that, after doing freelancing for a while, I start just put out my sh- proverbial shingle. So we're just working from home, never a physical location. And we were in like a general partnership with my husband for five years. And then during COVID, at first I thought COVID was, oh my God, 
we had like a reality TV plan. We had traveled to all kinds of places for festivals. We were involved with working on plan. We had tons of speaking engagements, clients, stuff like that. So a good 80% of all we were doing was just dead in the water in March. So that, oh my God, here we just built this, did all this work to build this. And now what's going to happen? So for about two weeks, I was just staring at you know the screen like everybody else, freaking out. And then it suddenly hit me, well, you know what, if I've lost 80% of my work, I still have 20%. And I better go do that 20% <laughs> instead of worrying and panicking. So I went and just went back to my desk and started making things happen. And then other, and then started thinking about authors instead of public speakers and all that stuff. And I spent about a month kind of trying to find some new client base. And after I didn't have to do it anymore, it all just got better and better. And it ended up that we've done way better in the last three months than we ever did before. I'm almost embarrassed to say because I'm like difficult time for people, right? But like a part of it is because I've been doing podcasts. I've been strategic. I've found ways to still get our name out there. You've learned to adapt to what is happening. And that's key in business, especially entrepreneurship, right? Where you have to learn how to kind of go with what's happening and use it to your advantage. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, really. I love what you said about because I remember I wanted to get into certain jobs. And I remember hearing in the olden days, people would remember like before maybe the 80s or something, you could kind of fall into a job. You didn't have to go through five years of school. And I was like, I wish we could go to the back to those days. Exactly. And then it became impossible. right? And even now, like if you want to go in the corporate, it's a, it's a different thing because you can't even apply for a corporate job. You don't even get to a human for them to evaluate you before you that because it's all online so it's all like what school did you go to but you know it's so funny because they're cutting themselves out of so much talent like i would never ever 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 use one of those programs because now i realize and it's funny too because i realized how those program things work too once i was i was doing my first hiring and so there was an agency that was going to help so they pretty much put the ad together and all that and i almost signed off on it because it was pretty much all my language and then i looked i realized oh wait a minute what does it say there at the bottom are required Listen, I don't even drive. You know how many jobs me and my husband when I was young didn't apply for because it said car required when the car had nothing to do with the job? And then I realized, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. It's a software thing. It's like an automatic thing they put in. Unless you take it out, car required. So at least in that case, right? Maybe not in everyone. Then we realized, oh my gosh, how many times do we like cut ourselves out of potential? (laughs) When it used to be, you know, there was like 90, you had 90% of it, but you didn't have one. But yeah, so that's the problem with the corporate thing now. So you need to go to school if you want to get into that corporate trajectory. Honestly, why would you want to? To me, I just look at that as just like a lack of confidence in yourself of what you really could do. Because like now, and I haven't gone, when I was wanting to go to university, when I was young and wanted to go to university, but wasn't able to, the jobs that I looked at there, that if I had gone to school, PR wasn't even in my thought, right? But if I had gone to school, I would have gone for human resources or something that was thinking of that. Can you imagine me HR instead of PR? Oh my God. I would have gone and paid for whatever to go into some corporate track. And then I would have been applying for those. And even those jobs that I look at now that I used to think of as well-paying jobs that are well, even jobs that are well-paying jobs that I still think of, oh, that's a good salary. I, I look at that now and I go, man, I'm glad I didn't go on that track. I'm glad I got off that track because it doesn't, you know, it, or look at even a teacher, all the hard work they put in or whatever. They finally get to the top of their career and they get that what is the top of career? I don't know. Maybe they make 70,000. Yeah, but I mean, maybe they make 75,000, whatever it is. Even if they, like, maybe they get to the very top, 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 
of the industry and they're the queen of all the teachers and maybe they make 80, I don't know where, whatever that cap is, and there are cap, whether it's police officer, teacher, I look at that now and I go, oh my God. So you get to the top of your career, you go to all that school for that, you go to the top of your career and that's great. You got your 70, but that's it now. There's no, you're at the plateau and you can't get, there's no, you, you can't work harder to make more. You can't, other than if you're investing or whatever, but I mean, in terms of your own work, what you do and what you go and whereas me, there's no limit. Once I hit my, I hit that mark last year, before that, it was like first couple of years of my company, I was making like, I was like a freelancer. I was making like 30,000. I was happy with that because I bought, I made a job. Wow. Look at this. And then as I start thinking more about building a company as opposed to just a job. And now, you know, then the next year now asked to 75, passed away, whatever it was last year. And now I'm all pumped up to see what I can do this year. Even though I'm not super money motivated, I have more bottom, I have other things on my bottom line, but I'm getting, I'm kind of having fun with it going, oh, wow, look what I did with my company. I now made that much and there is no cap. I've got a company now, a business, a corporation. I could make it grow this way, I could make it grow that way. I could be a millionaire if I care enough about it. And this is all I ever want to do. I could probably be a billionaire. There's nothing that stops me but this. Whereas it doesn't matter how smart I am if I went into that corporate trajectory. I'm lucky if I make middle management. Best I can do is. So that's why I go, wow, now we just are taught just to be that worker. We're not taught unless you already figure it out, then you go to university, get your MBA and then you're taught. But I mean, generally, like I did not have a love of business. I would never in my life have gone to business school. I wasn't money motivated. You know what I mean? I didn't know there was a job like this where I could build it. Like now I'm in love with my job. I'm in love with my personal, with the career I have and what I can do with it and this business not like about money or making money or it's so I would never have gone to get an MBA. And then I would, some of you don't, then you just continue on that little track where you're, you get the paycheck and now you can't even get the job because the computer won't let you. Well, in our pre-talk, we were talking about that, how you're glad for something not to have happened. And then, because even if you, let's say you had gone into being a publicist when you were 25 or something, what you have learned and through what you were doing, you gained so much experience and now you have this like love for it. Whereas when you were 25, you might not have had that and it, it would have gone differently. That's a good point too. It would have been just like, okay, I would have been, yeah, that's true. I might have gone to school for it to come out. Okay, like everybody else, what's the, what do I do now? Oh, I got to go. Yeah, it would have been a whole different deal, right? Whereas now it's just like, I see it as messaging, as I love it because I have the power to help, to, to give other people power. People come to me when they have a problem, like I'm a superhero, because they know I have the tools that other people don't have. I, can, I know how to get things in media. I know how to be. So like if there's an injustice, people come to me because they expect me to be able to help get heard. I love that. That's where I came from. And then but it's also just as fun to elevate somebody, a small business person who's just, you know, who's got their dream. They're getting out of that corporate burnout world and they've got their little thing. It doesn't be a cause. It doesn't have to be a, they've got their little thing in their little corner and they're passionate about it. Like I'm passionate about what I do and they, whether it's health and wellness or like, I've, and I learned all these amazing things about people, what they do across industries. Cause in Canada, we, we have to be generalists. We don't have a huge population. So here in Canada, you won't really find just an entertainment publicist or just a sports public. And I love that because like, I mean, I love the entertainment world. I love Hollywood. There's stuff I love about it. Love it. And there's stuff I'm like, oh, please. And so when I'm tired of that Hollywood kind of thing, and I used to love politics a lot. Now I'm kind of, I hate politics sort of because it's gotten so ugly and nasty and people are so weird and bizarre now. And like, 
it's a whole different game. It's not fun anymore. Like, but I used to like really love that. So there was the, that kind of, there's the politics, there's the Hollywood, there's the business. It's fun. Everything I love, I can work in. Like I loved the Beatles growing up. So I was for three years, the London Beatles Festival hired me. I told them, I don't know, you have to hire me. And they had, they were already near the end of their budget. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. You need to, because I've invested so many hours and times a young, you know, I was obsessed with the Beatles as a kid. So I was like, I, you don't understand. I had 115 Beatles books. So now you had to have to hire me just so I can justify college research. And they did. And they were glad. <laughs> nice. So what does being authentic mean to you? You know, like this, not putting on a face, not putting on a, an act or corporate. I don't believe in that thing that we were told, you know, in the old days, you have to be care. I think in this day and age, pretending to be someone else, pretending to be what you think a corporate person should be like, or pretending really doesn't work. It doesn't come off, especially as an entrepreneur. People like to work with people that they resonate with. I don't think you need to be afraid to be yourself, even if you're the fat girl with crazy red hair. People will find, you know, you'll find, I said in a, one podcast, you know how they say your vibe attracts your tribe. And I think that's true in business too. And I said that in a podcast and it was hilarious because this month, a lady named Jennifer Alamani, an author in New York, contacted me on LinkedIn and she said, I was listening to a podcast of you back in December and you said your vibe attracts your tribe. And I said, yes. And I had to find you. And she, oh, that's awesome. me, and she hired me. She's my client now, an author, Jennifer Alamani. So it's true. And you you don't know about the people. I'm sure there are people who would be like, oh, well, you know, I didn't want a crazy red hair publicist. I'm not going to go with the red hair girl. I don't like that. Well, you know what? That's fine because they wouldn't be my, we'd probably have other disconnects as we work together as well. Right. And you don't want those people as clients. If they don't want you, you don't want them. Right. Exactly. And you know what else? You don't hear about those people. People have said to me in the past, how am I working cannabis? Because I was doing work in cannabis 10 years ago you know, helping to ushering the medical cannabis work with those people. And some people have said, well, did that, you know, did you not ever worry if that work would interrupt your other work or, or the red hair would, and I'm always like, you know what, maybe, but I don't know about the people who kept away from because of whatever. I'm sure there were people who said, don't like her hair, don't like the cannabis, don't like whatever, her glasses, her shoes, whatever. But you know what? You don't hear from those people. You hear from the ones who come to you. And I haven't had a day with no work. I have more work than I can handle and always have to start with this. So if there are people who made that decision, that's great. I can't serve anybody, everybody in the world, right? I'm not the right. I think it's a, you should be working with people that you connect with, that you can talk to. As much as you separate business from pleasure and all that, I find it's hard for me because a lot of people hire me. My friends will see my work and then they'll hire me or people will just hire me, random strangers. And I absolutely connect with everybody that I work with because they're awesome people doing awesome things. And it's not a relationship like employee-employer with client and publicist. It's much more like a friend, even though it's a business relationship, it's still like, I, there's very few, and I work so with hundreds of people over my time, but it's very few that I don't actually feel like, that I can tell them honestly, if, they, if there's something off, if I can't talk to you, there's a relationship there. It's not like an employee-employer relationship, which is a joy to find out too as somebody who was trained as an employee, that is such a difference between applying for a job and the conversation between a potential client and me. Such a difference in the dynamic. Yeah. And you come across, like you're very easy to talk to. So you come across, I know for me, I'm not comfortable with like corporate suits. Like I always feel like they look down on me. I mean, I worked in the corporate world for 14 years and I 
I always felt like a fish out of water. I know, but you know walking in that room. I know what you mean. I was the weird one. I remember, actually, I was just thinking about it. I worked on the phones at a bank and my manager, I'm the type that was like, hey, dude, what's up? My manager was like, don't say dude. That's not cool. And I was like, what the hell? Like, this is me. And people thought it was fun. They'd be like, hey, Steph's on the phone. You know, I am who I am. Exactly. That's the thing we were told. No, you've got to be staying. you got to be. And I mean, obviously, you have to know what's appropriate, but you can't be like, all, but you have to know what's appropriate so that you can be, but you can break some rules. And it's funny. I read it. It's never been calculated. This thing is not calculated, but it's funny because I read in psychology today, which I love. I, I swear. Every time I pick up that magazine, I learn something for real. And I read in psychology today, like, honestly, it's like real nuggets of things that you remember later. And there was an article in there and they were talking about what in the old days was called, I can't remember the word they used to, they used to say he, it wasn't like saying someone was weird, but they would, or it it means like unique. Eccentric? Eccentric. That's the word. Thank you. They used to say that was the word. They'd say the person's eccentric, right? And they're saying, but, but when you're like at a certain level, like when you're successful or when you, like there's a certain kind of eccentric, it doesn't even mean you have to be successful, where people assume you must be successful in order to pull that off. And when I read that, I'm laughing. Oh, that's so funny because I am that success. That's how I, I can pull off all this because I'm successful. But I wasn't, you know, 10 years ago. And I was still just like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, whatever. And I, I know there were jobs I didn't get, or there were people, even jobs, people that told me to turn, tone her down. So I toned down the hair or maybe, you know, when I was asking for jobs and then now it's, I laugh because all those people that wouldn't have hired me because that, well, now, now people like them put me like people exactly like them, put me on stages in front of their whole company and pay me 5,000 bucks for the afternoon. I remember I, oh, I don't have it anymore. I had a nose, a nose stud thing. It fell out. So (laughs) in 2004, I got it and I had just graduated from paralegal program. And I was looking for work at a law firm. Well, people were like, oh, you're not going to get work in a law firm because you have a nose stud. And I had a tattoo, but it was on my back. So they didn't see it. But it's like now, I mean, who cares? But back then it was even 2004. Yeah, I know. I remember that. I remember my friend had a, yeah, she, we backpacked through Europe in 1991 and she had a a nose ring early on. It was very early for nose ring. It was when like you didn't see it unless it was like Indian people had nose rings and then like like hardcore punks and then a few people. It was like just the early stages, you know, before guy. Yeah. And I remember her mom was like, what does that mean? Like it was all trauma, like dramatic and like, you're not going to get a job. <laughs> They're bad. They're the naughty ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. It's funny. So, yeah, but it's funny because I know exactly what you mean. Walking into like a, a group, of, like a corporate environment, you know, where I'm not known. I'm very conscious walking. I'm always thinking, ah, that's hilarious. I don't, if I know, like nobody there knows me. Mm-hmm. They're all a bunch of suits. Here comes this bright red hair girl. I know half of them are thinking, who's, who's this? I'm thinking, yeah, Google me. <laughs> <laughs> Just Google me. You'll be, be, you know, so I'm very cognizant. I'm swimming in my success. You know, it's funny, right? Because you're just like, whatever. But it's funny because how the, that perception changes quickly. Because then once you have that list of things, then all of a sudden, oh, okay, well, and that's to come back to the psychology today thing. No one's judging you then because, oh, you've been able to be that successful. And yet you have that crazy red hair or you have that, oh, well, then there's almost like an extra level then of like respect. Because if you were able to do that, then clearly like, it's like you're a rock star or something like, <laughs> but really confidence. That actually brings me to a, 
a good segue into the question, how do we find that confidence to be authentic? Because a lot of times we're so, I know for me, until I really realized who I was, I was so scared to be found out as weird because I'd sometimes say I'd say weird things. How do you find that confidence to just be yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? You just have to do it. Like, it's like we all have questions. We've all had challenges or times in our lives where we questioned ourselves or felt that walking the room or felt less than or felt whatever. Everybody. So you just have to realize. And, you know, there was a time after I had my baby, which is 18 years ago now, but I was really isolated in the house for a while, just thinking baby stuff, doing baby stuff. I hadn't even realized that. But all of a sudden I went out and I was working from home doing telemarketing, but not, I hadn't even realized it. Well, I guess I wasn't seeing people. And then all of a sudden I went out back into social situations, not with my friends, but with strangers. I remember suddenly, like suddenly noticing what I'd never noticed before, which is I was like, I don't know if I, I don't think I actually stumbled over my words, but I felt in my head that I was stumbling over my words. You know what I mean? I felt like, oh, I said something stupid or what should I say? Or, and I've never felt like that before. That wasn't even me, even when I was young. But it, it came from literally, I guess I had been out of practice. And then right after that, I noticed that we moved to a different town. I started doing, we started doing community television, which my I forgot. I mean, we did do a little bit of media here. And there. I forgot like stuff like that, like local community stuff. My husband had some background in it, like where you volunteer and you go and learn to use the cameras and something that you host. And so we ended up doing some hosting and interviewing with the local politicians and stuff. And so all of a sudden I was like, nope, you know what? I'm pretty, I'm not going to do that. I literally consciously was like, that's ridiculous. Stop that. And so I started, I pushed myself so much out of my comfort zone. Before that, I didn't want to be on TV ever. I would do radio, but I hated the way I looked on TV. I was even fatter than like, I've lost weight since then. So my face on TV or Zoom, I would hate it. Like I probably wouldn't have wanted to do Zoom in those days. I was really sensitive about the way my face looked on TV. Now I'm like, whatever. See, now I don't even care. The background, I had three (laughs) inches of gray. COVID grave for like a month. I was, I did a hundred Zooms. I'm laughing. As soon as I got my hair done, I'm like, can I redo all those Zooms? I just did. <laughs> but I don't really. It also helped because everyone else had, I mean, you saw the celebrities and they were getting their gray hair coming in. Yeah, exactly. But I noticed though, like, and then it went from that to the point where like, so then we were doing the weekly TV in this little community, but we became celebrities kind of now that I think about it, because there was no, it was a small little community. They didn't have weekly, they didn't have, TV other than that. So we were like the weekly ce- the little celebrities in town. So then it got to that. And the reason I tell this story is because it comes down to that being nervous about walking into the room. So then I realized now I'm the person. This is a year after that, like not even a year after. Now a year later, I've moved, I'm doing TV. Now I realize I come in the room, everyone's looking at me. Oh, oh, look, it's the TV girl. And then I realized, oh shit. Because <laughs> now I've got to be the one. But then I realized, oh, wait a minute. That's what made me realize, oh, they're all nervous. Everybody is. And they're just waiting for someone to do something or say something to make them comfortable. And I realized they're all looking at me because I'm the TV girl. So I guess it's my job. (laughs) So I was literally consciously be like, all right, guys, okay, let's do it. And then as soon as I would be like, make people feel comfortable, everybody feels comfortable. And so it really made me realize everybody literally feels that way. Everybody, most people. 90% 90% of people feel that way. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like you have to fake it a little bit because if you're feeling like, oh no, there's people here. I've had to do that myself where I'm like, I'm really not in a mood to be talking. But if it's up to me, I'm like, okay, gotta fake it and be like, hey guys. And then it actually just becomes me. Exactly. Yeah, that's how I would be like, I mean, I wouldn't have thought of it as faking it because I met what I, but yeah, I know what you mean. I would like, I didn't feel like I was like, 
not even so much nervous, but feeling just like I'm going to have to, when I, you know, like that breath, like that's, that's you faking it or you like, it's in your word, but you know what I mean? Like putting it together, like putting your face on. Fake it till you make it or. Putting your face on being like, okay, I can do this. All right. Yeah. And as soon as I do that, I'd realize the vibe would change everyone that's there. So people are just waiting for someone. And then, you know, now that's a long time ago in a different community. Now when I'm in room, no one, I'm not the TV star, I'm not the whatever. I use the, I, that same thing. I know that somebody in the room has to get everybody feeling comfortable. Might as well be me. So I walk in the room and I'm like, okay. Yeah. And now I'm not nervous about anything anymore because now I can be in any audience and I realize, and I am in any audience now, you know, with celebrities or whoever and wherever. And I'm not nervous at all. I wrote an article about walking into like my second trip to Hollywood and I literally passed by a hotel where I'd been before and saw there was some big event. And it's funny because when I was passing by, I was thinking, before I saw there was an event there, I was like, oh, that hotel, I'd like to go in there because there was a big thing in there where I remembered from my previous trip where it had a big, like a painting of, you know, the Doris song, uh, Lucky Little Lady in the City of Light, it had, L.A. Woman. It had lyrics from L.A. Woman on the wall with a photo. I want to go in and get my pictures and go do my selfie saying, I'm in L.A. So I saw the hotel. I thought, oh, I'm going to go and do that. But as I get to near it, I see there's a big, a big party event like the one I've been at the previous year. It's clearly an industry party. I think it was more like theater than film, but right, I didn't see anybody famous, but they were clearly people who they were industry people. They were known, they knew each other. And I also had to go to the bathroom. I literally was like gonna leave, like, oh yeah, no. Then I'm like, you know what? I want to go to the bathroom and I want to get my selfie with the LA woman, which is right beside the bathroom, which I remember from last time. But there's a doorman right there, and you can tell they're taking. But I just literally in my head, I'm like, no, this, no, this is ridiculous. I just want to go to the bathroom and get that selfie, and I'm just gonna do it. So I walked literally right up to the doorman. I look at that. I was I was dressed Hollywood because I was coming from something else. So I had the bright red, my red curls and my red nails, and I was dressed like looked appropriate, right? So I literally just walk up to him, and I barely look at him. He's kind of nod and smile, and I and he just nods and smiles. And I walk back. I walk right in, and he stopped people directly after me. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was sometimes it's just your mentality. My mentality wasn't that I was going to get stopped. My mentality was like, I'm here. I'm going to the bathroom. And I wasn't thinking, I'm not going there to bug that guy. I'm not going, I'm going to the bathroom, get my selfie. <laughs> so I did that. And then I'm like, ah, guess I'm going to the party. <laughs> so I just went into the party, ordered his whatever. And I went and sat down. They had like long tables. It was kind of like, can you, and people just come and sit. And so I just went and sat, didn't bother anybody. But within two seconds, somebody literally said to me, oh, you look like somebody I should know. And then I'm sitting at the table talking to people <laughs> in Hollywood. That's like how, you know, in the movies, when we see con artists, I always think, how do they, they have this confidence that they're just like, and then people believe them. So they get into whatever, right? I think it's not because it, they just don't, yeah, feeling like you're not going to be. So in that case, like I wasn't conning anybody, wasn't there to bug anybody, wasn't, but I was just like, no, I belong here. I don't know why you would stop me. And that's what I was thinking. Right now, especially with a lot of the cancel culture, do you think sometimes people are getting really called out because we see them being inauthentic? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, exactly. And we're tired of it. We're like, just for instance, like with Ellen, is she really the nice person? Or are people like we're hearing stories of where she's not nice. And so it's we don't see how like we want to know. If you're not real, we don't want to see you on TV, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think we're tired of it. We're tired of people not being true to themselves and just being fake. 
and I think, I think, yeah, I think that's true. That that's where the genuine thing comes in too. You can't fake it. Yeah. What do you think the best ways to handle, like when we are trying to be authentic and we feel there might be some moments of where we, we make mistakes or we're very cringy, <laughs> cringeworthy things that we do. What do you think the best ways to handle those kind of situations are? Or how do you help people handle those? You mean if they say, yeah, if they feel like they didn't do well, or they said something weird. Or they, yeah, I just say, you know what, like you always are the worst critic of yourself. Like I say, I'll watch TV, a client on TV a lot. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm like all excited. And then they'll call me and they'll be like, yeah, it was really good. Except for, did you see where I, oh, it was so bad. And I'm like, no, that was fine. Like, so we're our own worst critics. And, you know, you always, and you have to realize, even when you go on and you're like, um, 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 when you watch, unless you were like literally doing that, like, look at me, I'm even saying like, you know, and I'm a professional speaker. So we all have our, we're speaking. I say you, it's better. You sound conversational. You're not an orator. You're not Barack Obama. You're not giving a speech. You're not, you're just speaking and you're an expert and you're speaking from the heart. And when people are listening to it, that's what they hear. Yeah. And even if, if somebody says something negative, doesn't it take like six or seven positive things to then take away that negative or something like that? And I know for me, if somebody goes, oh, I heard you say um too many times or like or, you know, which we all tend to say now, then you're you're oh, I messed up. Oh, I know at least I'm like that. So I'm like, oh, no, I said like too much. I said, um, I put it you, everybody has something. Look at how quickly I speak. And I, again, I've spoken on a million podcasts. I speak on panels. And every time people always say you speak too quickly, and I know that, but it's really hard for me not to, because to me, when I try to slow it down, it sounds so slow and so calculated. Like it doesn't, in my mind, it sounds, you know, but I know I'm like, well, I've always been like that, even as a teenager. It's, people say, do you drink a lot of coffee? No, actually, I don't drink any caffeine. It would probably be scary if I did. <laughs> I actually smoke cannabis, which I hear slows you down. So I don't know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> People should probably be grateful. <laughs> Do you have any advice for people on how best to stand out on social media? Again, back to that authenticity. I think people, I always am surprised when I hear people are, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to post. I don't know what should I say. Because I just post like random thoughts. Like I literally never think about, I mean, obviously for social media, when it comes to PR client work, I mean, I'm posting, it's not random thoughts. It's about the client and all that. But I mean, in terms of, I even hear people say like, about their own socials. Oh, I just don't know what to put. What should I say with this picture and stuff like that? It's like, I think people feel like it has to be really calculated. I just post the way I talk and on the way on social, the way I am here. And the way just, again, I think people are worrying too much about how they're presenting themselves as opposed to just being genuine. Unless you're a terrible, horrible, racist person, just be yourself. And you know, I always say be yourself. But once I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's been some people being themselves this year that were was not really nice. So sometimes you might want to improve yourself. Yes, that's so true. Because some people might be like, oh, and they do, right? They're like, well, this is me. I'm not apologizing for what I'm saying. And it's like, yeah, but you're actually really rude and mean and rude. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. No, <laughs> no, not talking because about that. The bottom line is people, you know, and even in a debate, like if you can't have a respectful argument, if you can't have a respectful debate, I won't even, I won't even talk to you. Like, forget it. And I think that, that's a whole other story. These days, people are so antagonistic, and before they even meet each other or look or have a conversation, they're looking. Hmm, what does that red shirt mean? Or what do those glasses mean? Is that something maybe I can? Is that is that an indicator you think differently than I do, and I can throw something at you? It's like I feel like that's the default now. Is 
people are looking for like something to fight about. I don't know, but it really feels like that needs to change. Oh, I don't know if you watch these videos on YouTube or whatever of people and the stupidest thing, you're like looking at them wrong or, oh, you drove past me. And it's like, what? And then they get in fights over stupid things. I don't even know why people are spending their time on social. And I used to do it too in terms of, you know, you get engaged and you're debating about something or whatever. But things, honestly, like, and this is from a social justice activist who spent, I mean, I will spend time if I think it's going to make a change. I will sit there and I'll spend a whole day if I, typing all day long if I thought it was going to make a difference. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. So I'm really trying. I teach myself this now. You know what? Back away from it. And I made some kind of flippant jokes, but I really kind of mean it. I was like, I don't debate social media. I made a status one talking about statuses, saying I don't debate on politics on social media anymore. If you want to talk, you want to argue politics, set it up, get an audience, and then we'll talk about it in a panel with influential listeners who thought, what I convinced them, as I inevitably will, they can actually make a change. So I don't want to argue with like people who are just all they do is spend all their time arguing. And even if I convince you, which I'm not, because you're just so in love with your argument. So what then? I convince another random you on the internet. Like, no, if I get to put that much time and effort into arguing, it's going to be because the people listening are going to be able to affect the change or they're going to be care enough that they're going to, you know what I mean? Like, just like all this random arguing all the time, it's just gotten like, it's gotten ridiculous. And nobody's convincing anybody of anything because most people don't even know how to debate properly. Like, I will, if you seriously have a different opinion of me, that's fine. As long as you're not, you know what I mean? As long as you're respectful of other people and you want to debate that opinion, I might learn something. I might teach you something. I might learn something. But 90% of the people won't that way. They just, they go straight to insults. They go straight to, I'm not interested in having conversations like that. Like, Oh, it's so, it's sad and it makes me sad, but it, it's also funny because I'll, I'll read comments and people are like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, what? what? You were talking about something else. What's happening? But a lot of times I find people don't read exactly what you're saying. No, people are just stuck at their own thing, wanting your, you to shut up so they can say their next line. And again, that's the kind of conversation. It's not a back and forth. If you want to actually, maybe I will learn. Like I'm open. If you have a consider, I would at least read it. You probably won't convince me if that's what your train of thought is. But if you have a valid argument, make it. Don't just yell at people. I actually did a podcast episode with a friend of mine talking about philosophy. We need more critical thinking. Oh my God, you're so right. Exactly. Why don't we teach that in school? <laughs> right? In high school. Freaking teach it in high school. I mean, I could have used that in high school. Yeah. You have a book. It's coming up. It's called Get Repped. Build Your Own Brand with Effective Public and Media Relations. So do you have an idea when the book's coming out? Yeah, it would have been out by now, but I pulled it back because I want there's a bunch of stuff that happened in 2020 that made me want to add a chapter or two, including a chapter on, you know, what happens after you built your whole reputation, you got, and then what you should not do, you know, to have it all come crashing down. Like, for example, if you have some kind of challenge, like, you know, or stress or a mental health issue or whatever, you don't want to bleed that all over your Facebook page and destroy what you just built. And I saw that happen this year. And so I thought it would be important to kind of other people under a lot of stress to add something about how what to do, like, you know, just to be careful once you have a media presence and what you need to do, right? And not do. Yeah. So, and a couple other things too, I wanted to add to just a, it's been a crazy year that brought a whole bunch of new things to light. So, and also with all the podcasts I've been doing about entrepreneurs and executives, 
seeing what a blind spot it is for 80 or 90% of entrepreneurs and small and medium-sized business, but they don't even think about PR. So yeah, so it's coming out probably summer now. And I always wanted to write a book, thought I would write like fiction, but I actually was working with this, uh, one of my first clients, Lou Bayer, and we made her book a business success back when I was a freelancer, an Amazon bestseller. And then she decided with her next book, she's like, I got a huge profile, more than just an author. With her next book, she decided that she was going to start her own publishing company. And then she did that, like for her own books. And then then she decided to publish other people's books. And now she's got like, she's been doing it for a year, then she got 40 or 50. But she asked me to come in, mostly soft skills books, like business related. And she asked me to literally write the book on PR. So it was like a commission, you know, not commission, but like she said, hey, you got, you should write the book. So I wrote the book. But and that was about three years ago. So, I, you know, if I wasn't so busy doing the PR, I would have finished the book a long time ago. But with like 39 clients this month, as you can imagine. Yeah, you're busy. Juggling. So I'm not quite done, but I've been a lot more. Uh, I've been getting a lot more of it done and I'm planning to get it out there this year for sure. Awesome. If you have any questions about promotion, publicity, authenticity, reach out to Tracy. She's very nice. She's very helpful. And here's her contact information. So they can reach me at lamoriemedia.com, Tracy Lamori uh, PR Media on Instagram. Tracy Lamori on LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. And on Facebook and Tracy Lamori PR Media at gmail.com is my email address. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tracy. This was so much fun chatting with you. It's been an hour and it's gone by really fast. <laughs> I love that. I talk way too much. See, so don't forget, I talk fast. I say like too much. So don't worry about it when you do too. As long as you're likable and you know your stuff and you can you know, most people will still appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy, for coming on the Stuff Up podcast. It was a lot of fun speaking with you. All right, ladies, you won't want to miss the next episode. I am going to be speaking with my friend Rita from the Girl Unplugged podcast, and we're talking about feminism. Thanks for listening, you guys. Follow me on Facebook, Stuff Up Podcast, Instagram, Stuff Up underscore podcast. You can email me at stuffuppodcast at gmail.com and check out my blog at stuffuppodcast.com. I think I got all that correct. You can hit subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps other people find it easier. And if you can share it with your friends, that would be so helpful and amazing. Thank you so much. I hope you go out there and make it a great day. Bye.